Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Octane. This week, I want to play a conversation I had over Zoom with Jennifer Zielinski. She's the executive director of the Idaho Anti-Trafficking Coalition. During our conversation, I was surprised and shocked, honestly, to find out how prevalent human trafficking is in Idaho and the number of people Jennifer's organization has helped just this year. Here's the chat we had. I'm sure you'll find the information Jennifer shares, as well as the advice about online safety enlightening. Welcome, Jennifer. Uh, thank you for making time today to call in and chat with us about trafficking in Idaho. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where should we start? I'm guessing that there are some common misconceptions about trafficking. Yes, and that's actually um, a really good point, especially with all of the um, the social media and there's a lot of media attention right now. Um, some of the misconception is that it's done so through um, just abductions um, or kidnapping. And um, though that does happen, and certainly um, something that, that definitely needs to be involved in this um, cause, it's really not uh, the top uh, method of human trafficking. Um, online solicitation, uh, grooming, which is really where a trafficker just befriends somebody, starts a, a fake relationship building, typically um, fulfilling some kind of vulnerability or maybe need. And um, that through that grooming process, which can be, you know, anywhere from just a couple of conversations to six or nine months of really invested communication. And that is, um, you know, a, a false relationship, false promises, and typically luring, luring somebody in that way. Um, the other misconception is that um, trafficking is... Human trafficking is done so uh, it's solicited to um, people that a potential victim doesn't know. And that's also a myth. Um, on a national level, the statistics show that children who were um, identified as victims of human trafficking, uh, among them, anywhere from 94 to 7% knew their perpetrator. So it um, it's important to highlight that within potentially a family structure or within a close family friend or neighbor within the community, or maybe even a place of employment, um, maybe even within a, a church environment or um, sport environment, those types of things. So really a high number of, of uh, child victims of sex trafficking knew their perpetrator. So this is happening right underneath our noses for the most part. It is, absolutely. And it has been for years and years. Um, Idaho is far behind um, in this effort, and other states have been um, moving forward with uh, full statewide efforts anywhere from 10 to 20 years. You say Idaho's fallen behind. In what ways? So we, I, I think most uh, ways is that we've not prioritized human trafficking um, as a priority area um, as far as the state's concerned. So systemically, um, we, we lack appropriate um, identifiers or assessment tools or even um, screening tools. So the data collection is lacking as well. And um, the buy-in still isn't there. And I think, you know, all the things that we love so much about Idaho, just, you know, live and let live, preserving, you know, all the 
what the state has to offer through our beautiful rivers and trails and um, camping and, you know, all of those amazing things. Unfortunately, we're missing um, what's, what is happening right in front of our face. And that is we're, we're breeding um, uh, the, the human trafficking um, underground kind of efforts because we're not paying attention. Our, our laws are outdated and, um, and the efforts really haven't identified the need to, to tackle it. Do you see change coming? And, and the reason I ask is right after the COVID outbreak, they did sign into legislation finally um, a, a minimum age of consent, I think it is in Idaho, or at least, you know, mm-hmm. the previously you could, anyone could get married at any age. Right. Yeah. And that's been an effort for a couple of years. Um, so we're, we, we are very grateful that they did um, raise that age to 16 um, on a federal level. It's identified the age of consent is 18. So that would, that's ideal. Um, minors who have been coerced into human sex trafficking, um, they're, uh, on a federal level, they're deemed, uh, victims of human trafficking. And so where, um, to make it really streamlined and cohesive, it would be, it would be great to see that raised to 18, but we are grateful that they did raise that in the past. Uh, we've seen as young as 11 years old, um, married in Idaho. So, uh, wow. we really do. Yeah. We really do need to implement some of those protections just so that, um, just so that we're uh, we're mindful of how human trafficking does make its way into um, our outdated laws. I'm kind of curious now, because of the fact that it is not a priority, what would help us understand exactly the extent of this happening in Idaho? Well, making it a state priority allows for the reallocation of funding where education and awareness would filter into all of our local and state agencies, um, where law enforcement, dispatch, um, you know, our prosecution, courts, uh, Department of Corrections, um, they would all receive a, a high level of training and education that's necessary to really identify, um, appropriately identify, but then appropriately um, provide services and supports rather than uh, criminalize victims. Whereas our um, our outdated laws, uh, we still see penalizing um, individuals who are potentially a victim but not identified appropriately. What What does that look like? Um, where there may be a, a secondary criminal activity attached. Um, For example, if there is even a minor or an adult um, arrested and they're arrested for potentially, there's a charge for prostitution where we as an organization would say, really, it's important that you look into the potential of human trafficking. Um, The conviction may be or warrant um, the old laws under prostitution. And then we're missing the uh, we're missing all the other pieces where there would be a buyer and then there's a seller. So you have the trafficker and then you have the demand, which is the individual who's actually buying somebody. Um, So those arrests are lacking, although um, you'll see arrests under solicitation or maybe um, sex with a minor or, um, or even sexual exploitation, 
um, uh, online solicitation um, of a minor as well. So you'll see some of those where we're really, really pushing for um, to remove the punitive process. And uh, if we were to appropriately identify potential victims and um, with thorough investigations, then we would be able to really see um, not only the data that's collected and appropriate, but the arrests that are necessary. Do you feel that it's they're not pulling on those threads enough as far as the investigations are concerned? Yeah, and I do think um, we're still working on a statewide buy-in, you know, that it really does happen here. Uh, again, if, if there is uh, priority areas where the focus is on some other uh, major crimes, such as drug trafficking, uh, we would encourage agencies, um, you know, state and local, to really look at the potential of um, human trafficking as well. It's surpassed drug trafficking as a, a top money maker, and so where there is drug trafficking, there's typically some form of human trafficking, whether that be labor or sex. And so we would um, certainly like to see um, human trafficking become a priority area so that that effective training and the education really does trickle into our, um, our agencies. And then there, there's more of an awareness and um, they, they know what to look for. And um, even though the focus area may be uh, drug trafficking or some other criminal activity, they still can evaluate and, and review the possibility of human trafficking. That makes sense to me. I mean, if somebody gets pulled over, gets caught with a large quantity of drugs, I would assume right. that the police would investigate that to see what the source was. Right. And if there is something suspicious, you know, if there are uh, a couple of underaged, um, you know, minors, then that may be something that it's a red flag. Um, oftentimes there are signs, you know, individuals who simply don't know where they're at. They seem incoherent. Um, there may be visible signs of abuse or it looks like, or it looks like substance abuse. Um, there are uh, red flags that can at least give some key indicators that maybe we need to look further into this. And, and, and I do want to note, we do have some amazing law agencies that are really on board and um, and really pushing this effort forward. It's we we just really need as a state for this to become uh, systemic and the change has to it really has to trickle into every part of, of Idaho. And you were talking about red flags. Uh, what are some red flags that we could look for, especially for, for people with children as far as online mm -hmm. interactions are concerned? Yeah, I would certainly say the online um, communication is uh, the most common form of solicitation. Um, like I said, the grooming process, wherever our kids are, um, there's human trafficking. Wherever there is um, an ability to communicate with someone on the other end, there's a perpetrator. So that would be gaming apps. That would be dating apps. It would be anywhere where there are chat rooms, um, online buy and sell trade opportunities. That's where solicitation happens. So if someone is, um, you know, sending a friend request or following an individual and you don't know who's on the other line. You simply don't know if it's a perpetrator or if it is someone who just really wants to play a game with you. Um, and because of that, it's uh, there's a huge risk. Uh, blatant solicitation happens all the time. Private messages just to a request for nude pictures, um, a request for maybe a nude picture in exchange for money. 
And where um, where we have actually seen an increase in solicitation, there also there's also been an increase in um, those who are desperate to make money um, because of COVID. And so um, so we're really pushing for just a lot of monitoring, online safety, um, really evaluating, make. Um, make computer use and phone use a normal thing in the home where we're aware of the communication. We have access to um, passcodes and, um, and, and, and programming that is creating more of a safety net. Um, we encourage our young adults and our youth to turn off your notifications. Don't disclose too much information. Um, if, if there is a, a, an illicit picture sent, regardless of whether you delete it, it's out there. And, um, and then those friends that are work, we're accepting into these chat rooms or even into these apps on our devices, they also have access to hacking into your device. They have access to your photos. They have access to your personal information. So um, where there's a lot of uh, false information that's actually out there as well um, regarding human trafficking, the majority of it as far as online safety is something to take very seriously. Yeah, that's, it's scary how, how easily people can communicate nowadays yeah. i've heard i've heard uh you know from a, a police officer that children today need to watch out for apps like uh tiktok especially some of those mm -hmm. new ones that start to pop up and if they mm -hmm. become popular and they're not screening their age uh of the users it's you know ripe for yeah ripe for misuse right and like i said wherever there is um you know children youth or young adults really anybody for that matter um, there's a perpetrator. They spend every day, all day soliciting people. So whoever acknowledges them, receives their either friend request or, you know, if there's a simple hello and you respond there, you know, now you're a target, uh, you're, you're a potential, um, you know, a victim, you're falling prey and traffickers will hone in on, you know, your likes and your dislikes. They'll start using your vulnerabilities. If they, um, if they can hone in on um, any vulnerability, maybe um, maybe an unsafe home life, maybe there's domestic violence or some form of neglect or abuse happening. If those things are um, solicited online, traffickers are going to hone in on them. They're going to use them as a way to lure you in. And um, so I would say as a parent, um, really monitoring the communication, opening up all of the chats and um, any of the private messages. We've done quite a few assemblies within high schools uh, right before COVID hit. And I can tell you, um, these students were a wealth of information. They shared with us just how um, blatant somebody will be. Private message, you know, send me a nude picture. Uh, they don't even know who's on the other end. Um, but then, then feeling intimidated or potentially on the receiving end of some form of, of blackmail, even if it's fake blackmail. And, um, and then if you're dealing with individuals who have a disability or a mental health disorder where they, they don't feel like they can advocate for themselves or, or there is a way out, um, they fall prey. So it is, it's really, um, it's more so teaching um, safety and um, really uh, monitoring rather than shaming especially um, our kids and young adults where we're all using these devices. This is how we do our work. 
this is how we communicate with people. So it's, it, it's here to stay. Um, but how to really be mindful. If you are going to use something like TikTok, then it's really the security measures that are important, you know, ensuring that you're not just friending anybody and monitoring who can access your videos, um, who you're responding to. So it's really about the safety measures. And we're all kind of in this together as everything becomes more and more digital. It's almost as though adults are learning the same lessons as children. We are. And we see that with online communication through dating apps. We, th- we see it through just even communication on something you want to sell um, or something you're trying to buy. And um, it really is as simple as that. And someone can tap into it. It isn't, um, it, it is an opportunity for all of us to rally and say, yeah, this is the way we communicate. These are the things that we do. The, these are the devices that we use. And, um, and then, and then really understanding how to find those safety programs that are implemented into our devices, um, ensuring that we're taking those, those steps and it's easier said than done. And I know that as a parent, but, um, but when we, when we assume that our kids are, have the ability to really take those safety steps, um, it's unfortunately we stop monitoring uh, and then even for our own devices, going back and making sure that our settings are in place, that we, you know, we're monitoring our own activity and who are our friends. Um, I, I assure you, we really we don't know everyone who's on the other uh, on the other end. Yeah, you're you're reminding me I should probably go back through my Facebook <laughs> friend list and make sure yeah. everything is OK. <laughs> yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, that's that's just good advice in in general. So uh, here in Idaho, what are the numbers that you have been able to collect? Yeah, so super important to note. Um, what we've done is taken um, various uh, data collection, um, and really for the purpose of just um, showing, you know, what does this look like? Uh, what's the culture in Idaho? What are the um, where are the themes maybe? Uh, where are the hot spots? And though we really do service the Treasure Valley, uh, we've trickled into Canyon County, um, Gem County, and Magic Valley, and certainly received calls through our, our hotline from around the state. Um, we've been able to provide direct services uh, to about 308 individuals. And, um, and since Jane, yeah, it is a a high number. And I, and I want to emphasize that that is not a statewide number. You know, like I said, that is really within the Treasure Valley and some of those surrounding um, counties, but just as of um, since about January of uh, 2020, we've been able to provide 305 direct services. Uh, actually to 305 individuals. And so um, with those numbers, we've identified uh, 44 um, were, were male and, um, and then 179 were female. Um, so one of the highest age brackets as well is um, between 25 and 59 years old right now who have been able to really identify themselves as um, either a prior victim of human trafficking. Uh, 37% of them noted that they were victims of child sex trafficking. And so if you think we've only been um, fully funded and 
and fully supported as far as providing services for one year. And we've been able to really um, provide those direct services and supports for individuals who are just now for the first time identifying themselves as a victim. And so where they may may have been a victim as child sex trafficking, and then they're now in their you know early 20s or, or um, early 30s, it's pretty, um, the numbers are staggering and we didn't anticipate them. That is really surprising and upsetting. <laughs> Very, yeah. So you've said that uh, you've been working on this as a coalition for a year now? So our organization's been around for just under three years. Okay. Um, our, we've been fully funded to provide direct victim services now for an entire year. Uh, so within this entire year, the data that we've been able to collect on um, individuals who have really been um, identified as victims of crimes where there may be um, uh, other crimes attached. So victim of uh, child sexual abuse, child pornography, um, domestic violence, um, child rape, uh, stalking, those types of things. So we actually collect the data on whatever those um, potential other Victims of Crimes Act has um, has been um, in conjunction to, are they at risk for human trafficking? Are they, is it an individual who is suspected of being um, a victim or is this the survivor? You know, is this an individual who, again, identified themselves as a, as a child victim? So there's, um, so the data itself is, is critical in that we're, um, we're so far behind in our efforts as a state, but this is the first time there's an organization that's designated to provide those direct services as well as expand um, statewide, but collect the data. So it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, the numbers. Very surprised, and you've only been at it for a few years now. I applaud you on your work. What can people do to help out? Thank you. Um, we're always encouraging people to invest in, you know, in any program that is providing services for um, all of our at-risk populations. And I only say that because, you know, our homeless shelters, um, you know, our partners expand into our, our food banks, they expand into our after-school programs and, um, and into our school districts. And so really anywhere that anyone can plug in where we know that that's an investment into the partnerships that we have. Um, if everyone can rally and um, increase the access and the, you know, we need housing opportunities, shelters, safety, uh, those emergency needs, what we've responded to significantly. Our, um, our hotline has quadrupled um, in calls since COVID hit. And that is um, through emergency needs. It's through uh, food, shelter, um, Im immediate um, housing opportunities, or even rental assistance, um, clothing, transportation, and uh, so we do that all through case management and, and our direct service providers. So, um, and then our partnerships in the community are who allow that continuum of care. They ensure that they're providing the, you know, trauma-informed direct care. Um, if it is housing needs, if it's more of a transitional home, we provide um, relocation services as well. Um, and if our staff, uh, doesn't provide the direct transportation service, 
we have a transportation, we have a couple of transportation companies that we partner with to ensure safety and privacy and security as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, any way that anyone can get involved, we have a volunteer program on our website. We have an application that can be filled out. Um, if you sign on to our newsletter, that'll give you monthly updates on our activities, opportunities to get involved. Um, we do vet all of our information. We ensure that it's um, credible, that the resources are um, and, and they're valuable and they're also um, state specific. Uh, we do provide national resources as well for ongoing um, updates, but our focus is Idaho. You know, we're, our coalition is designed to work alongside the community to expand our efforts throughout the state and then ensure that the appropriate services and supports are provided. Where would somebody go to sign up for your newsletter or volunteer? Um, on our website, idahoatc.org. Uh, we do have an, a very active social media page. So our Facebook, um, Idaho Anti-Trafficking Coalition, and our Instagram, uh, where we do provide updates on statistics, updates on um, information regarding local and national um, efforts, and um, the information that we do. Like I said, it's it's all vetted. We, we uh, fact check everything and we use very credible resources. And that's really important too, with this being such a hot topic. Um, and any, and I would just say anything that causes, causes a division among our communities, um, you know, I, I would, um, I would evaluate that because what we're trying to do as a coalition is bring people together. We're trying to um, create a systemic approach that's cohesive, it's supportive, um, and and not attach it to any divisive um, cause, especially in that this is not a hot topic. This has been around for years and years and years, and um, not to divert it, to really stay focused and recognize that if if we are going to rally, then it needs to be through action. It needs to be investment. Invest in your local communities. Invest in um, in our our homeless fam. Just anyone who's facing homelessness, but. If someone's considered a runaway, we need to evaluate why. Um, you know, they're not they're not being looked for. They're not in a database. Um, again, it's attached to a punitive uh, process where if someone's a runaway, they're considered. You know, they're that's a misdemeanor. If a if a coalition were to try to support a minor who's considered a runaway, that's a misdemeanor. It's punitive. That's not communal. So we're really pushing for people just to evaluate our city ordinances and our laws. Well, how can we update um, the, the, the things that are happening in Idaho in order to ensure that we're providing safety, we're providing you know, a, a true um, secure approach to any human trafficking? And I really appreciate your message as well. It seems like you know there are just so many different issues that can be resolved by focusing on your community in general yes. and trying yeah. to keep your eyes open and, and being helpful rather than punitive and trying to punish those that are might be concerned about their behavior because there's always something under the surface. It's a really good point. You know, if you look at revolving um, uh, foster care systems, if you're looking at um, unstable homes, you know, that that may be a generational issue, but it has to be something that's um, supported. 
And in order to end a, a generation of um, human trafficking or, you know, or incestual acts or that be a cultural thing, it has to be, um, there has to be an intervention. So we have to provide preventative measures. And then we also have to provide supportive measures so that we can break the cycle. If we continue this punitive process, then we're only going to stay reactive. We'll, all, we'll always end up on the back end that, that there's already, you know, crime, there's already uh, criminal history, um, and then there's, um, you know, the inability to provide a diversion mechanism to provide um, safety and security and, um, and training opportunities. So we have to educate and again, you know, online safety is so critical in that, um, you know, we're all using these devices. So it's no different than, um, than the, the, the preventative approaches that we're taking for any other cause. It's just being supportive. It's, it's supporting our kids, supporting our youth, um, supporting our adults that, you know, um, fall into any of our at-risk categories and investing in them. Because just um, rallying and protesting, um, though that might send a temporary message, it, we need things that are really actionable, that are going to turn into long-term impact and invest in your communities. And go in day in and day out, just like what you're doing and, yeah. and make mm -hmm. a difference, not just when it's yeah. a hot topic. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. It, you know, it gives it a voice and that's a wonderful thing, but it's, uh, this has been a, a, this has been a long, long, um, effort, not just, I mean, obviously for us only three years, but this effort in other states for, uh, 20 years. So, uh, this is not new in, in the United States and, um, it is in our backyard. It is in this state and it is something that needs to be addressed. Um, and it should be prioritized. Yes. And I thank you for walking the walk and helping push Idaho towards change. Thank you. I really appreciate you reaching out. We love, love doing stuff like this. So thank you. You're very welcome. That was Treasure Valley Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode informative, be sure to share it. We'll see you next week.